5: Welcome in podcast listeners. Appreciate all of you hanging out with us. want to request that you go give us five stars. If you do it and I read your five-star review, I'll send you an autographed copy of my book. So be as entertaining, funny, and engaging as you possibly can be. You can rate us at Outkick the Coverage. You can rate us at Wins and Losses. You can rate us at Outkick the Show. Basically, if you type in Clay Travis, you get a bunch of different options. The funniest will get free autographed copies of my book. Uh, Loaded show for you. We will have Marcus Mariota, one of his first interviews that he has done since he joined the Las Vegas Raiders. He will be with us. And we'll talk with Dr. David Chow about the latest in uh, the uh, Tua Tagovailoa health, as well as the impact of coronavirus on sports. Appreciate all of you hanging out with us. The podcast begins now. Wherever you may be across this country or this great land, we are off and rolling. Uh, Marcus Mariota is going to join us. We talked to him uh, last night. He is going to join us. He's out in Hawaii. I've got uh, that interview, which is going to play in about uh, 15 minutes or so. And I believe right now, if you look at the Las Vegas Raiders, and I keep wanting to call them the Oakland Raiders, and I'm sure that's going to happen for several years, but they are now in Las Vegas they have one of the most intriguing quarterback situations of any team out there. Uh, and as we look at things going forward, right now, most teams have a pretty clearly established starter and then a uh, a backup who is clearly substantially below the overall level of the starter. Right? I mean, that's the situation in general that exists almost everywhere now. In a month, we're going to have the NFL draft. And when the NFL draft happens, we'll obviously have a lot of young guys coming in who may sit initially or maybe competing with a veteran. But there aren't very many situations right now where you have relatively same aged quarterbacks who have at least somewhat similar overall accomplishments, where you have two longtime starters that are uh, in a situation where if the starter in Derek Carr has a little bit of a stumble, then Marcus Mariota could be the guy who comes in for the Raiders and takes over their quarterback position. Now, ironically enough, Mariota is effectively in the same position that he was in last year with Ryan Tannehill sitting behind him, where uh, he's the starter but there's not 100% confidence in his ability to start. And there is another first-round quarterback in Ryan Tannehill who had failed at his initial uh, team that drafted him and then got a second lease on life. Will the same thing happen for Mariota with the Raiders? It's an intriguing question to ask because, again, we'll see where Jameis Winston goes. But by and large, maybe where Cam Newton goes, uh, maybe where Andy Dalton goes, but those guys, uh, at least uh, Cam Newton and Andy Dalton, are substantially older. Really, Mariota and uh, Jameis Winston are in the same boat where they're both trying to be Ryan Tannehill. Now, Those other guys, Case Keenum is now sitting behind uh, Baker Mayfield where you, maybe you're trying to send a little bit of a message, hey, if you don't get things uh, in working order, then we've got a guy who you can trust who would make more sense coming in. Uh, but all of these things, as we go forward, uh, are worth uh, are worth exploring beyond a uh, beyond a shadow of a doubt. Now, I want to bring in the crew because we got a couple of Raiders fans here. If you were setting the over under right now, Danny G, based on everything you've seen from Derek Carr, how many games do you think Marcus Mariota will start? If I gave you the over under of two. Do you think this is Derek Carr's team? Derek Carr is going to come out, play the whole season, basically. Or do you think Marcus Mariota has a chance to be the Ryan Tannehill of the Raiders this year? And uh, and basically, he's in almost the identical situation that Ryan Tannehill were in at this time last year. And after six games, he came in. Tannehill did, took over the team, and was the better quarterback. What do you think happens with the Raiders?
6: This is such a hard question to yeah. answer, honestly. Because half of me feels like Carr is going to be pushed to greatness. He flashed moments last season, and then we've obviously covered it um, a lot on this show about his struggles, but half the time he looks really good. So that's why it's a 50-50 scenario. Unless he gets hurt, I don't see Mariota getting a lot of starts, but at the same time, Carr is always subject to get hurt. That O-line, though, is looking decent for the Raiders. They are going to add a top-wide receiver in the draft. I really think that with the brand-new stadium opening, all the excitement surrounding that, and Carr knowing that it's a do-or-die season for him, that if the Raiders stay with him going into the season, he steps up and plays tremendously, kind of like the way Dak started with a really, really good season last year. I could see Derek Carr coming out and playing as a top 10 quarterback to start the season.
5: And keep it up all year? Well, that's... So would you go over or under two games?
6: Man, I would go right at two, honestly. Because where Derek Carr struggled last season was when all that pressure got to him when the team was 6-4. and Yep. And the whole team imploded in New York against the Jets. And I feel like that will be the hump to get over again. The Raiders will come out the gates looking good, and then halfway through the season, when the pressure is on for them to really, really step up and be a playoff team, that's when we're going to see what Derek Carr is truly made of.
5: What about you, Dub? Do you buy in that this is maybe the most intriguing quarterback room in the NFL, just in terms of the different directions that it can go in the same way, honestly, that it happened with Ryan Tannehill where he remade his entire career, gets ninety one million dollars guaranteed, and we're talking about a guy who only made seven million the year before and five million of that had to be paid by the Miami Dolphins so they would get rid of him.
7: Yeah, this really is just a mirror image of the Titan situation last year and involving Marcus Mariota as well, except the roles are switched now. I think the number two you set is probably if that was a real number in Vegas, I would probably take the Marcus Mariota side because I feel like the true number would have to be like five or five and a half or somewhere around that because I feel that if Derek Carr does struggle, I don't think Gruden's Gruden already doesn't have that much patience for him. Otherwise, so once they he gets be bringing benched, in. it's a
5: smart take. Like much like when Mariota got benched in Week Six, once you make the decision not to go with him, you're basically saying his tenure as our franchise quarterback is over.
7: Yeah, like once they make that switch, it's done for Derek Carr in Oakland. And so I actually, I think Marcus Mariota has a a great chance of starting multiple games this season. Obviously, Danny G and Roberto watch more Raider games than I do, but I just feel like Gruden's patience is running out. He's going to be moving his team to Las Vegas. They need to, you know, show up and perform this season. And I think Mariota is going to start at least a handful of games this year.
2: What about you, Eddie?
7: It is it is a really
2: good question, um,
7: and I will say this as a fellow
2: Fresno State alum, I do root a lot for Derek Carr. Um, you know, new season, new place, a lot of excitement, a lot of optimism. I think Derek Carr does have the advantage. He knows the team. He knows the playbook. But, you know, John Gruden is the wild card in all this. Uh, it, it has gotten to the point, I think, obviously bringing in Marcus Mariota. He certainly had a, a hand in that. I know Mike Mayock really is a big fan of, of Mariota's, but it it really depends on how the raiders do to start off if they if they get off to a good start and they're playing meaningful games late i don't think i don't see him going to make a significant change at quarterback but if they struggle early then he's definitely going to to put a put mario in there to try and change their fortune so it's a tough call i'm going to if i have to bet my own money though i'll take the over
5: what about you, Roberto? You're a Raiders fan. Uh, you've watched all the Derek Carr games over the years. How do you uh, how do you assess this overall uh, landscape between the two and the likelihood of what's going to happen in 2020?
8: Yeah, I felt uh, last year there was a couple of times where Derek Carr should have been benched and he could have been benched, but there was nobody capable of coming off the bench to, to replace him. I feel like uh, I'm going to go over. I think there'll be maybe three three or three games or more that Mario is going to either come in to replace Carr or he's going to end up getting the job towards the end of the season. Because when the weather gets cold, Derek Carr is terrible. He is atrocious. He's never won a game when when it, I believe the degree uh, it's 30 degrees or below. He's never won a game. So he's atrocious when it gets cold. And then once the, the weather gets cold, we're going to see Mariota starting games towards the
5: end of the season. Can you guys – let me go back. Uh, let me go around the horn again here. Can you guys think of a more interesting quarterback battle that exists right now in an NFL team – uh, meeting room for quarterbacks. No. Because I, I really can't. Like if you look around again, that might change when you have Tua drafted Justin Herbert. Uh you know, it looks like Joe Burrow's being handed the job, but there are a lot of different uh possibilities once you start to roll in all of the uh all of the young guys. I mean, I would say maybe Dwayne Haskins and uh and Kyle Allen in Washington just because of the uh, Ron Rivera connection to Kyle Allen. But there's a big difference between what's expected of Kyle Allen and what's expected of Marcus Mariota. I, I'm trying to think right now how many other NFL teams even have two first-round picks on their roster around the same age. Uh, there's not very many right now that, that have that as their number one and number two uh, number two battles going on right now. In fact, uh, I, I really can't. I'm trying to run through all the different teams. I can barely think of any off the top of my head that have that scenario At all to begin with, which is why I think that this one is such a uh, such an interesting battle to follow.
6: Yeah, you bring up a good point because these two are truly a mirror image of each other. They are kind of the same quarterback. They're that Spider Man meme where the two Spider Mans are pointing at each other. They even broke their leg on On the the same same day. day. Yeah. Back in twenty sixteen when they both were having MVP like seasons.
5: Yeah, both of them had their best year and both of them, I think it was in the fifteenth game of the uh the regular season, broke their legs. And that, of course, for Raider fans, they don't need to remind me, but if you've forgotten Uh, out there as a casual NFL fan that led to what Connor Cook I think right third string quarterback starting in the playoffs on the road for the Raiders against uh, against I believe that was Brock Osweiler for the Houston Texans in one of the ugliest playoff games especially from the quarterback position that we have seen a long time I mean again there's a good uh, bar uh, win there if you want to discuss most unlikely quarterbacks to have won playoff games. Brock Osweiler, uh, is certainly near the top of that list. Dub, can you think of any other NFL battle that's more interesting to follow right now as we sit at the end of March getting ready for April headed into twenty twenty?
7: I can't think of any that are more interesting, but the only other one that even comes close is in New England. But that's just because either Brian Hoyer or Jared Stidham, it seems, is going to be replacing Tom Brady. But in fact in the in, you know, terms of just strictly the two quarterbacks battling it out? No, I think it's definitely what's going on in Las Vegas.
5: Eddie, I mean, we talked a little bit about this, that maybe Jameis Winston is going to find himself in a somewhat similar position if he were to join Jacksonville, for instance. Uh, we talked, you're a Steeler fan, about how maybe it makes the most sense if uh, if you really uh, think about it for Jameis Winston to go to a place like Pittsburgh but I think probably Jameis Winston's representatives want to find Marcus Mariota-like situation for their their quarterback, where he could step in and be the Ryan Fitzpatrick of uh, of that scenario. But so far, it does not appear that there are uh, there are any of those uh, any of those opportunities that are out there right now. Uh, And so as you look at this, are you with me? This maybe is the most uh, intriguing of all the quarterback situations that exist in the NFL right now.
2: Yeah, I would say so. The only other one I might even mention, but I don't think is as intriguing, would be Chicago with Nick Foles and Mitch Trubisky.
5: Yeah, that's a good one, too. It's a little bit different in that, what is Foles, 31 or 32 at this point? So, I mean, there's seven or eight years difference, but Nick Foles certainly his, and he's already resurrected his career once by coming in for a uh, for a younger guy. I mean, that's why he got the big money that he did uh, from Jacksonville in the wake of what happened in Philadelphia. But that is a good one too um, to uh, to at least think about with what the Bears are trying to do to compete in the Mitch Trubisky sweepstakes there Uh, all right when we come back we'll dive into this question directly with Marcus Mariota why did he pick the Raiders what does he expect what is his relationship like with Mike Mayock and also uh, certainly what is the relationship like with John Gruden what was it like leaving Tennessee Marcus Mariota not talked that much to the media since he signed his new deal with the Oakland Raiders. And since he left the Tennessee Titans, he is going to be on here with us next. This is Outkick, the coverage with Clay Travis.
4: People at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do it yourself and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit them at oreillyauto.com/2pros. That's oreillyauto.com/2pros.
8: If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris that you won't want to miss
4: dot com slash sports tire dot com the way tire buying should be
5: we are joined now by a guy who's got a new home uh he is marcus mariota former tennessee titans quarterback now a member of the las vegas raiders uh have you gotten used to even thinking about the idea marcus that you're going to be playing in las vegas
9: oh man i honestly just so excited um you know back home in hawaii they call las vegas the ninth island um <laughs> so for me this is the this is the closest I could get to playing at home, and I'm really looking forward to it.
5: So how does this process work? So you uh, are a free agent, and uh, you know there's all the chaos of what exactly opportunities are going to be out there. When did you become aware the Raiders are interested in me? When did you first talk to Mike Mayock, to John Gruden? Kind of walk me through the process of how you end up a Raider.
9: Yeah, well, I think first and foremost, you start off and you just kind of lay out what your priorities are as a free agent. Um, it was it was very important for me to find somewhere that was there was a lot of stability, um, a coaching staff that was in place that you know that was going to be around. Um, you know, unfortunately, with my time in Tennessee, um, there was a lot of turnover, and I just kind of wanted a little bit of stability in my life. That was kind of priority number one, and then for me, the second priority was just to be able to find a coaching staff that I felt could bring out the best in me. You know, and Coach Gruden, he's been. He's been that guy. He's been able to, to, to get the best out of so many players. And for me, I, I, was, I really wanted just to be able to have that opportunity for myself. And, um, you know, from there, it really just, you have to wait until, um, you know, the league year gives you that kind of tampering window. Um, so it started in, on Monday the, the 16th, I believe. And uh, from there, you just kind of build a relationship and you try to narrow down what, what choices that you feel like you have and from there you just build up a, a relationship and hopefully something that will lead into a contract.
5: How well do you know John Gruden?
9: I had several meetings with him over the course of my uh, playing career. Obviously coming out of college and uh, the quarterback camp that he used to do and then when he used to do Monday nights we had a couple games with him as well. So just the, the energy, um, you know, the love of the game, the passion, um, you could you could feel that even in just the several instances that I've met him.
5: Did you watch hard knocks inside the Raiders training camp last year? I did not. I'm, I'm just curious if you, saw, if you saw that side of him uh, as, a, as a player then at the time. Mike Mayock loved you, the GM of the Oakland Raiders. He had you rated as the number one quarterback coming out in your draft class. He's obviously now the GM of the Raiders. How well do you know Mike Mayock? What has he told you about how he feels like your skills fit the scheme that they run?
9: Well, again, I think just over the course of my career, I've had the opportunity, um, you know, just to, just to meet him a couple of times. And um, again, I think just like Coach Gruden, you, you see the passion, the drive, uh, the want, the desire to be great. And um, I think for me, that really aligns with what I want to be. And, you know, moving forward, I think uh, I'm just looking forward just to, to absorbing as much knowledge and, and uh, you know, talents that that. Uh, again, I think it's just—it's a classy organization that uh, just loves and breathes and um, breathes football, and I just can't wait to be a part of it.
5: You had a great relationship, it seemed, with Ryan Tannehill. What kind of interaction have you had with him since you signed your contract with the Raiders, and since he signed his contract with the Titans?
9: Uh, you know, we we would shoot the texts every now and then, and um, you know, he's again. I think our relationship was based upon the fact that. You know, we, we just kind of generally liked each other and, and enjoyed being around each other. And just the quarterback room in general in Tennessee was a, was a great one. Um, and for me, I, I fully support him and, and wish him nothing but the best. He's got a great family, and uh, I'm excited for him as well.
5: What do you know now that you didn't know when you came into the NFL?
9: Um, that's a great question. Uh, and I think for me, um, you know, I, the, the business side of it, you can kind of see it across the league it's it's, just, it's the nature of the, the NFL, and, you know, there, there's merit to it. You know, you have to be able to perform and, and play at a high level consistently. And, um, you know, if you're not able to do that, they're going to find the next guy that can
5: you uh you are a guy that isn't active on social media I don't think you may have a burner account we don't know about but I don't think you have a public <laughs> I don't think you have a public uh, Marcus Mariota Twitter account I don't think you're on Instagram uh, I don't know about Facebook or Not Snapchat it. or any of that stuff. When did you make that decision and why do you think it's worked for you? I'm just kind of curious because a lot of guys want to be constantly out there on social media. Did you make a conscious decision when you were in college? How did you manage to say no to social media when everybody else, it seems like, is saying yes?
9: Well, yeah, you said it. It just started in college, and it, it came down to the point where I just wanted to keep my private life private. I didn't I didn't want to have to kind of portray any sort of personality or anything like that. I really just kind of wanted to keep to myself, and um, you know, I, I believe I have a pretty tight-knit close group of people that I that I keep in touch with, and social media for me doesn't really allow or doesn't give me the opportunity just to keep in touch so I just kind of use the phone text message call and uh, I don't feel the need to have that in my life and um, you know for me it it doesn't bother me at all I think it's kind of nice to not have to have that distraction um, and you know and I don't I don't really plan on ever using it
5: we're talking to Marcus Mariota Oakland Ray uh, Las Vegas Raider I got a used to saying that uh new quarterback <laughs> uh you, you had a moment one time where you said you came out to the press and you apologized to everybody because you said your mom watched the press conference and she didn't think <laughs> that you were nice enough to them, uh, which I think for most people out there listening right now uh, who are fortunate enough to have a mom who pays that much attention to what they do, that's something that my mom sometimes gets on me about. Uh, for people who didn't know that story, what happened in that press conference and how soon did your mom let you know about it afterwards?
9: Uh, well it was after a tough loss in Arizona. Um, you know, and I, I'm just a competitor. I hate losing. It's like, for me, that's the worst, worst thing. I I just, I can't, I don't handle it very well. I'm a, I'm a pretty sore loser. And, um, you know, I, I conducted the interview, I guess, the press conference in a way that, um, my mom felt that she didn't raise me that way. So, um, you know, they've always kind of prided themselves on, you know, being respectful and genuine. And, um, you know, she didn't feel like I handled it that way. So um, it was probably a, a few three hours after the game. Um, but she let me know, and, you know, I can I can truly appreciate that. And, you know, I think so many times, um, especially at this level, there's so many people that kind of just tell you what you want to hear. And um, I'm very blessed to have people in my life that tell me, tell me things that maybe I don't want to hear and uh, things that, Will help me grow as a person and help me grow my character, and um, I'm just truly really grateful for that. And it's kind of funny that we can look back on it and laugh. How
5: much do you love football?
9: Oh, I love it. I love it. It's the only thing I've ever really wanted to do in my life. And the 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 thing about it is, I, I love competing. I love the challenge of it, week in and week out. Um, and you know what? I think what's kind of kind of taught me over the the course of the last six months or so is that uh, I just I love the the trials and the tribulations that come with the game. I think you learn so much more about yourself when things maybe aren't going the way that you want it to go. And um that growth for me I think has helped me be a better uh person, a better friend, a better brother. And um I'm I'm just very, very blessed for that.
5: You mentioned that you hate losing. Uh, we do a podcast on uh, part of OutKick called Wins and Losses, where we talk with people about the biggest wins and the biggest losses of their life. It can be business, sports, politics, you know, personal, all different things. And one of the overriding themes seems to be you learn more about yourself when you lose than you do when you win. Do you buy into that idea?
9: Absolutely. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. I think it's, it's easy when things are going well and things are going good and things are kind of going the way that you can, to just to put a smile on, to be grateful, and to be happy. Um, it's, it's in those moments where things don't go the way that you want or things are kind of spiraling out of control. And for me, to be able to, to dust yourself off, smile, be grateful for that moment, being grateful for what's happened to you, being grateful for that trial and tribulation – because all in all, I think those things that happen to you, they give you a platform to hopefully help others. And I think that is a responsibility we have um, with the profession that we play.
5: You're in Hawaii now. You're, I'm assuming, healthy. Uh, is this the healthiest you've ever been in an off season that you can remember?
9: Uh, I'm, I feel good. Uh, I think it, it kind of dates back, maybe like you said, it's been a while. Um, but I, I'm looking forward to just kind of continuing to build up for you know, whenever we get back and whenever we have our opportunity to get going again.
5: What do you do to pass the time now in Hawaii? We're talking with Marcus Mariota, Las Vegas Raider quarterback. You're out in Hawaii. It seems like you enjoy going out there. What do you do uh, in the off season right now? Like, what did you do today? Uh, and what will you do today in Hawaii? And what's a normal day?
9: <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I mean, I don't think just with everything going on, it can be real normal yeah, right. uh, for anybody right now. But, um, you know, I... I just, I love the water. I love the beach. Um, I love being around friends and family. Um, growing up in Hawaii, it's like growing up in a small village. And uh, I, every time I go home, it, it's just nice to see familiar faces. And, um, you know, I think everyone talks about it being a little slice of paradise, and I don't even think that does it justice. Uh, Hawaii is a special, special place to me and to my family. And I, I just like enjoying it and spending as much time as I can out there.
5: Have you talked to Tua recently, and if so, what have you told him? I know you guys have a special relationship as Hawaii quarterbacks uh, growing up there, and that you've known him for a long time. How much have you interacted with him, and what do you expect, and maybe have you told him as he gets ready for the NFL draft?
9: Yeah, you know, we just talk back and forth here and there, um, and it's more just being supportive of each other. Um, you know, and I, I think for me, I just I try to give him my ear. Um, you know, I've been, been kind of through the – uh, the gauntlet sort of say of what he 's going through right now, and um you just try to be supportive you know and I think he 's in doing everything he can to be ready and be prepared um he's again he 's a great kid, got a got an awesome hit on his shoulders, and whatever franchise does decide to pick him up i think they'll they 'll pick up a winner.
5: do you play Madden uh here and there? I mean, have you have you tried out the uh, the Vegas Raider offense at all? Have you sat down and actually uh, played <laughs> at all as uh, as a member of the Raiders, no. just with their control in your hand? I have,
9: I have not yet. I have not yet. I, I think maybe over the time, especially during this quarantine, I might have some time to be able to do that.
5: Uh, we're talking to Marcus Mariota, Las Vegas Raider, uh, new quarterback. There are a lot of people out there listening to us right now. You mentioned it's kind of a crazy time in uh, our country's history with the coronavirus, the shutdown of sports, everything else. There's probably a lot of kids out there moving into high school. Maybe they're beyond high school. Maybe they're college, listening on the podcast. What would you tell those guys? You had to deal with not being the starting quarterback after being the starting quarterback for years and years, after winning the Heisman Trophy, playing for the national championship, taking your team to the playoffs and winning a game there. What would you tell those guys out there who are playing sports a variety of different uh, high school levels, everything else, about how to deal with something like that happening on a public stage to you?
9: Well, I think you just take it one day at a time. Um, I know for me, obviously it sucks. I mean, you know, it's not going to be a good feeling. Um, but at the same time, though, I think it's an opportunity to grow and it's an opportunity to learn about yourself. For me, uh, I really just kind of focused on trying to become a better player. What, what things could I do in practice? What things could I do outside of uh, the field? Maybe it's in the weight room. Uh, the training room uh, there's always something that you can always that you can do to, to get better, and that 's what I focused on, and I think being able to engulf yourself in trying to improve will help you through that situation and um, you 'll you'll find yourself on the other side you 'll dust yourself off and uh, there 'll there'll be other opportunities elsewhere and, and it 's just going to be what you do during that time to improve yourself uh, will you be able to, to make the most of that next opportunity.
5: You're still a young guy, even though you've now been in the league for five years. Uh, If you could go back, last question for you, if you could go back in time and talk to yourself when you were getting ready for the NFL draft, what's the one thing you wish maybe more than anything else that you had known that you didn't know at 21, that you know now at 26, 27?
9: I would say just trust your abilities. Trust what you've done. I think um, for so long, everyone tries to mold you into something maybe that they feel... Is the right way to play the position, maybe the right way to uh, win games and I think no matter what to play the position, you have to be a great leader. you have to be able to uh, create that fire inside of guys to be able to go win uh, but if it, but at that that same time though, if you just do it the way that you know how and go out there and, and play the way that you've been doing and just trust what you've done um, and just Let it rip. I think uh, more times than not, you'll find yourself to be successful.
5: I know I said last question, but that led me into another one. You saw Lamar Jackson get an entire offense built around his talents. You are a guy that has a multifaceted talent uh, background, right? You can run, you can throw, you can move out of the pocket well. Does any part of you look at what happened for Lamar Jackson and the smart uh, Greg Roman offense that they built and think, man, I would love to at some point have someone build an offense around what I can do like what I saw them do for Lamar Jackson.
9: Yeah, for sure. But at the same time, though, I think I was, I was fortunate enough to be able to play through a multitude of offenses and learn and see how different people think, how they want to try to attack teams. Um, so I think all in all, everything that I've experienced over the course of my career um, has really just helped me and helped me learn the game, helped me to... Really become a better player, a multifaceted player. Um, so I feel like if if I'm able to do that, and you know, kind of ma- manipulate my talents and, and my uh, gifts to how, however this team or whatever whatever team asks me to to do, I'm gonna just try to be try, try to make the most of that. And um, you know, I think all in all, we have great coaches across the league, and um, players will always find great situations and uh, for me I've just got to make the most of that situation.
5: Oh, the, the last thing for you here you met my kids uh, I know that a ton of people have met you all over Nashville uh, and I've never heard anybody say a bad word about you so I know there's a lot of people who are going to be rooting for you in the NFL best of luck thanks for treating my kids and so many other kids so well as a uh, representative in the NFL family.
9: Absolutely I appreciate everything man thank
5: you. That's Marcus Mariota talking about his new gig with the Las Vegas Raiders. This is Outkick, the coverage with Clay
1: Travis.
4: people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do it yourself and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit them at oreillyauto.com/2pros. That's oreillyauto.com/2pros.
8: If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris that you won't want to miss.
5: Giving you a heads up, by the way, later today, we are scheduled to record a podcast with uh, Mike Leach, the current Mississippi State football coach, formerly of Washington State and of uh, Texas Tech. And that podcast will be entirely focused on The Tiger King, which is the most watched documentary or movie in general, I think, uh, or television show right now on Netflix. If you haven't watched it yet, I promise you that should be a pretty entertaining conversation between Mississippi State football coach Mike Leach and me. Dub is going to be recording that later this afternoon. Should be up as a podcast. Probably play a little bit of a cut for you tomorrow on the radio program. Uh, but we have the podcast exclusive. You also heard me mention it with talking with Marcus Mariota. We have the podcast exclusive wins and losses, which is up. And there are a lot of really good uh, topics and conversations on that podcast that I would encourage you guys to to check out if you haven't already. Um, but Marcus Mariota, not surprisingly, I'll bring in the crew, see what they thought. Not uh, not taking any shots. He uh, probably is not going to talk very much to the media now as he goes to work and tries to uh, to, to prove that the Oakland Raiders were justified, Mike, Mike Mayock, in believing in him. Now, this is kind of wild to think about. I don't know that there's anybody who has ever had this arise. I believe in his five years, with the Tennessee Titans, Marcus Mariota, in addition to going through three different head coaches, he started off with Ken Whisenhunt, uh, then ended up with uh, uh, with uh, uh, ended up now with Mike Vrabel. But right before Mike Vrabel, uh, he had uh, Mike uh, what's got Mularkey. So he had three straight coaches in five years, and I believe I'm correct. I'll try to run back through it in my head right now. I think he had five different offensive coordinators effectively in five years which is pretty wild to think about I don't know that there's ever been a number one overall pick that had that much of a change in terms of what was expected of him and uh, he obviously ran the same system for the entire time with Oakland but uh, but this will be uh, this will be interesting can you imagine three head coaches five different offensive coordinators Danny G to go through, I don't know that there's any precedent for a quarterback dealing with that much change at uh, at in terms of the philosophy that he's being expected to execute.
6: Yeah, that's a lot. It did catch my attention when he was talking about being unstable with those changes. And Derek Carr, it's ironic, he could say the same thing. He's had a couple different head coaches and a few different offensive coordinators. Now, though, he's headed into year three with Gruden, which is the most stability he's ever had. So it is really crazy that suddenly now the stability that Mariota has needed is going to come in the form of John Gruden. Yeah,
5: and the one thing I would say when you think about the relationship between Gruden and Carr and Mariota is how is psychologically, how how well will they interact? And, and I mentioned three different head coaches. He had two different head coaches, Mariota did. He was obviously brought in by Chip Kelly, and then he had Mark Helfrich, who he took to, a level of success that that Helfrich was not able to, uh, to, to attain anywhere else. But then you go with Ken Wisenhunt, you go with Mike Malarkey, and you go with uh, Mike Vrabel, three different head coaches, five different offensive coordinators. And he kind of hinted at it a little bit where you are getting coached up by that many different people in that many different offenses can lead you, I would imagine, to get a little bit inside your head. That is, instead of sort of naturally uh, trusting your instincts and going out and playing football at a fast pace and not overthinking things, when you are working in five different offensive systems for five straight years, even if you're the starting quarterback – there has to be an element of pausing before you make the fastest decision. And I thought the most noticeable difference between Marcus Mariota and Ryan Tannehill was when Ryan Tannehill came in, he was basically just playing with the the decision of I'm just going to let it rip. What's the worst What's the worst thing that can happen? I can lose a football game and I can get benched again. And once you have been benched, it's almost sometimes the worst thing that can happen to you. Uh, it has happened. So what more do you have to lose? When you're the starting quarterback, you're worried about making mistakes. When you're the backup quarterback, you can come in and sometimes play with a different air about you because worst case scenario, you go back to the bench, you've already been there. And I wonder to a certain extent how Ryan Tannehill will deal with that now that he's made $91 million and he is the guy how much different will the pressure situation be for him versus a guy who came off the bench after six games with a team that was two and four and there weren't really very high expectations for him compared to now when you're being paid as one of the 10 best quarterbacks in the NFL and the expectation is that you're going to play well from week one on. I do think that's a different mindset and I will be curious to see whether Marcus Mariota can bring it to bear playing behind Derek Carr because I think it's fair to say Derek Carr at times has struggled with his confidence. What will it be like for Derek Carr to have by far the best guy who has ever been uh, playing quarterback behind him, looking over his shoulder, knowing how much of a perfectionist John Gruden can be and the fact that Mike Mayock, they may not be committed to you given where your contract situation is and given that you're now in your third year in this system. It will be one of the most intriguing storylines to watch in the entirety of the NFL. When we come back, Major League Baseball was set to begin today. Rob Manfred saying they probably won't be able to play a full schedule. But what do we expect for baseball, also for NHL, and for the NBA going forward? We'll talk about it next.
1: Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick, the coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific
5: this is outkick the coverage we are rolling into the thursday edition of the program thanks to marcus Mariota who joined us in hour one in hour number three we'll be joined by dr david chow we'll get the latest on what he thinks of uh of the coronavirus in general but also in particular of the videos that are circulating of tua tagavailoa working out um i know it's hard all the time to know exactly what it looks like from a health perspective. When you see those videos, we'll hear from an expert, former team a doctor of the uh, of this LA Chargers. Back in the day, it was the San Diego Chargers. Today would be opening day for Major League Baseball. And Rob Manfred uh, went on ESPN last night to talk about uh, the fact that Major League Baseball is not going to play a full 162-game season and more. I want to use this as a jumping off point to talk about where we are from a sports perspective with the uh, with the world of uh, the coronavirus. But first, let me let you hear, I believe this was on with Scott Van Pelt on SportsCenter last night, Rob Manfred, Commissioner of Major League Baseball, talking about where baseball finds itself. Here are some cuts from him.
10: We have a whole group of resources that we're relying on to plan and uh, to have the best possible understanding as to what the situation is. We're working with CDC, the World Health Organization, and we have four infectious disease specialists uh, from universities around the country, including Columbia, Duke, MIT, that are giving us advice on uh, what they think the course of the pandemic is going to be and what the outlook is for returning to a more... uh, normal situation. I've had ongoing conversations with, you know, Jay Monahan, uh, Adam Silver, Gary Bettman, uh, Don Garber from MLS about exactly where we find ourselves Mm -hmm. and what the outlook is. I, I think that it's important to understand where other people uh, see the situation heading, and to try to take advantage of their best thinking. Our goal is to play as many baseball games as we possibly can, given the limitations uh, associated with the public health concerns. We're probably not going to be able to do that this year. I think that's clear. And it does give us an opportunity to do some different things, to experiment, and to make sure that um, we provide as many games as possible and as entertaining a product as possible. My optimistic outlook is that at some point in May we'll be gearing back up. Um, We'll have to make a determination depending on what the precise date is uh, as to how much of a preparation period we need.
5: All right so that's the latest from Major League Baseball. Let me give you the latest from uh, the White House press briefing involving their doctors uh, yesterday evening and I got to tell you uh, if you are at all interested in the coronavirus uh, updates, the best way to get your information is to actually watch the White House press briefings themselves as opposed to letting the media try to contextualize what you're told there. Uh, and uh, and so I have, now I'm the media trying to contextualize what you were told there instead of you watching it yourself. Uh, but here are what I took away from watching the White House press briefing yesterday And I believe this factors in to the world of sports fairly substantially. Uh, We have now completed, this was yesterday afternoon, 432,000 nationwide coronavirus tests, more than any country in the world. So this is an important detail because the overall total number of cases are rising, but that's because we have legitimately tested more people than any country has in the world and we are likely to end up. I would expect with over a million people before all is said and done out of our country that we have tested. Uh, the uh, Dr. Burks, who is one of our nation's foremost uh, doctors in this in, in this uh, uh, situation, said, and this is wild. I'm sure some of you are listening in the New York area. 56 of all coronavirus cases right now in the united states are in four areas in particular four counties Uh, new york city which is obviously five boroughs more than a county Uh, westchester which is just north of uh, of new york city nassau and suffolk counties which are two of the counties on long island so if you're familiar with the new york geography the entire nation has 44 percent of the coronavirus cases that area of New York City effectively and its surrounding uh, metropolitan area has 56% of all of the cases. Uh, Dr. Bergs also said, and I've tried to talk some about this, that sharing these models which make you believe that millions of people are going to die uh, aren't helpful. She said uh, the numbers which have been put out there actually are very frightening to people and She said the data is nowhere close to the numbers you see people putting out there. Right now in the United States in the last month since the coronavirus began, 1,000 people total have died uh, of the coronavirus. Now putting that into context, roughly 8,000 people die every day in the United States. Uh, And around 3 million people die every year in uh, the United States as well. So, we have 8,000 people who die every day in this country. Since the coronavirus outbreak began, 1,000 people have died of the coronavirus. Uh, and again, we have nearly 3 million who die of a variety of different causes uh, across the entirety of the nation. 1,000, roughly, have died of the coronavirus so far. Uh, now, I'll open up phone lines. We've had a lot of these town hall forums. I'll answer any of your questions, 877-996-6369. But that is literally the latest from the White House doctors and the press briefing that they did yesterday for the nation. You heard Rob Manfred, who was on late last night, talking about Major League Baseball. If I were setting an over-under for sports, the way that I would set it up is, I think the first two sports probably that are going to come back are going to be NASCAR and uh, and also uh, golf. It would not stun me if in May we are talking about NASCAR and golf returning. And the reason why I think, probably without crowds present, the reason why I think that that is uh, the most likely is you can play and be involved in both of those sports without having to be Right on top of somebody else, or requiring a team or some sort of substantial number of people that are interacting on a day to day basis, particularly golf. Uh, I think tennis also, although tennis may be European based and Europe is in worse shape by and large from a per capita basis with the coronavirus than we are. uh, So I think tennis may be harmed by the uh, by the coronavirus in Europe more so it's more of a global sport but I think NASCAR and the PGA are the most likely to come back I believe the NBA and Major League Baseball will be back in June if I were uh, laying it out along with the NHL and that that might initially be occurring without any sports fans present Um, but uh, but I feel fairly optimistic if you look at the trend lines in the country that we are going to be able to uh, to handle this coronavirus outbreak hopefully we'll do so with the least possible loss of life and also with the least possible loss of uh, of jobs so that is uh, that is where we are right now at the absolute latest let me bring in the crew again the phone numbers if you have any questions about the coronavirus or you want to discuss it at all particularly as it impacts in the world of sports 877 877- nine nine six six three six nine danny g what do you think baseball will be back and how many games will they play when they come back
6: i feel like baseball teams are going to miss about 30 games
5: so you'd go 130 on your over under yeah. for how many regular season games yes be i would
6: and an interesting thing to think about the uh shortened nba strike season yeah That was one of my favorite NBA
5: seasons. Because Because it packed so much intensity into a relatively short period of time.
6: Exactly. And I feel like it's going to make baseball so much more exciting to the average fan because we hear so many complaints about it's such a long season and there's a lot of fatigue surrounding how long the Major League Baseball season is. With this, imagine how excited everyone's going to be when baseball is back. And it's almost going to be like, playoff baseball where every game is important and everybody's paying attention to every at-bat just about so i'm looking forward to that i think it's actually going to help baseball in a way
5: it's interesting i talked to my wife uh yesterday about our schedule the kids are out of school uh we've had you know a total zoo like a lot of you out there who have young kids elementary age kids who are uh, who are out of school but i was talking with her and i said look i think that bait sports are going to come back in earnest by june and usually if you're a sports fan when the NBA and the NHL end there's kind of a dead period right you're right around father's day when the US Open ends and the uh, and the NBA finals end and the uh, and the NHL end really from June until August and i know you can be like well there's some things that are going on yeah you can watch the british open and you can watch the PGA championship in golf and You've got Wimbledon, and uh, there, there's always something kind of going on. But I feel like we're going to be so packed when all of the sports come back that they're going to run us right into the fall such that I'm not sure when we're going to take a summer vacation. So I was actually talking with my wife, and I was like, you know, we should probably go somewhere if this thing starts to get under control, which I think it is going to do uh, in, in late April or early May for our vacation time. Because for what I do, usually I go away, if you've listened to this program, usually in July, I go away for a couple of weeks. That's the time that I can kind of dial out before NFL training camps get started. We don't take any days off, or at least I don't, uh, but most of the show doesn't either, from when football starts in late August all the way through the Super Bowl, basically, except for Thanksgiving and Christmas. That's our, that's our sprint, right? But I think the sprint this year is going to start around June, with all of the sports leagues suddenly finishing. And we're going to have, for instance, the NBA and the NHL and Major League Baseball going, but in particular, NBA and NHL, ending their season right as we roll into college football and the NFL. Now, there's certainly people out there who are uh, who are not as optimistic as I am, and they're like, oh, not only is sports not going to come back, but, uh, but we're not going to have any college football or any NFL. I don't buy that. I, I think that we are going to be uh, fine coming through especially as the weather gets warmer 877-996-6369 eddie garcia what would you set the over under at for baseball games that'll be played this season
2: well they're talking about maybe starting in june i know they're saying they're gonna have a some sort of spring training which is strange
5: in and of itself like they basically ramped up and then they're gonna have to dial back down and restart again
2: I know it's it is odd, and, and how far are they going to push the season back? You know, if they are going to try and play as many games as possible, they're talking double headers, or even throwing out seven inning games potentially. So there's all kinds of crazy things floating around. I don't know. I, I mean, I'll give it a guess and say like 120 games.
5: Yeah, which is still an awful lot of games, by yeah. the way. Uh, what about you, uh, Roberto? What would you th- What would you say? Do you do- well? Let me say this before we go to the phones. Does it, Does anybody else? expect that the big leagues meaning major league baseball hockey and uh, the uh, and the nba does anybody doubt that they will be back playing in june certainly that's an open forum there are, and i imagine there are people out there listening to us right now that are inevitably being like clay you're crazy there's no way we're going to be how we're going to have sports again in june i think we will does anybody dispute or disbelieve that we're going to have uh sports in june going once go in twice
2: without fans right
5: yeah I think they'll start without fans and 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 I also think that you know depending on the NBA and the NHL they may decide to play their games in places like I don't think anybody wants to go into let's say Madison Square Garden right now you know if we were still in the process of traveling I I think not only could they be playing without fans if you're playing without fans what's the point of playing in a 20,000 seat arena I wouldn't surprise me if, for instance, the NBA and maybe the NHL as well, if they even start back up in their leagues, playing in practice facilities where they can control uh, easier the in- uh, ingress and egress of everybody coming into that uh, facility. Maybe they can take everybody's temperature. You know, whether you're a camera guy or uh, whether you are an assistant coach, right? In the same way. That I know, for instance, with the White House press briefings, they take everybody's temperature in the media before they're allowed to come in. Uh, I think it would primarily be a television-based production, which is how most people watch anyway. But I don't know that you even need the venues to be used. And I think certainly if there are places with outbreaks, and I think one of the things you'll see with the coronavirus is – there will be different quote-unquote hotspots that emerge over the course of the next several months. Right now, almost everything is centered around New York. In fact, as I said earlier, 56% of all people who have the coronavirus are basically in New York City right now. It's not even New York State. It's just the New York City area. Um, 44% is in the absolute rest of the country. And you could say, like, why is New York having this outbreak? Well, they have incredible density to an extent that doesn't exist anywhere else in the country. So I don't necessarily buy into the idea that what happens in New York is going to happen in LA uh, because in New York, everybody rides the subway and few people have cars and they live all close packed together in apartment buildings, whereas LA is a much more sprawling, even though they're the two largest cities in America. The difference, if you spend any time in New York and LA, is seismic. The two cities aren't really very similar, not to mention that the weather is pretty good in LA and there are lots of people out there who believe that this coronavirus, we don't know for sure, but a lot of people out there who study viruses believe that this coronavirus, as is the case with other coronaviruses, will be seasonal and that warm weather is going to be uh, more difficult for the virus. And If you look at where we have had the most cases so far, by and large, warmer weather climates have had less significant breakouts, not only in the United States, but around the world than areas that are uh, that are you know New York or Washington State-like in terms of their temperatures. And by the way, one thing that's definitely going to happen is it's going to be 80 degrees today where I live in Nashville, which means every tree is going to go ahead and bloom and so many different uh, plants in general, and there are going to be a massive amount Of people across the country as spring springs that convince themselves that they have the coronavirus because their allergies are going to be acting up. So the number of people that are going to be rushing out to get a coronavirus test because their eyes are watering or they've got something caught in their throat or their nose is running, there are going to be a lot of people convinced, oh my God, I've got the coronavirus and it's just going to be your seasonal allergies. But expect for that to, uh, to, to ratchet up into a major issue as well. We'll take your calls. We'll discuss this. Major League Baseball, uh, hockey, also the NBA, golf, NASCAR. What's going to happen as we move forward? Today would have been the day that Major League Baseball starts. Take your calls and discuss it 877-996-6369.
1: Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com.
4: people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto. Do it yourself and you can find what you need in store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit them at O'ReillyAuto.com slash two pros. That's O'ReillyAuto.com two pros.
8: If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss.
5: would have been the opening day of Major League Baseball. We are talking about the impact on baseball of the coronavirus as well as the NHL, the NBA. I would say we're talking about, you know, how many games exactly will be played with baseball season. And I believe they're going to be back in June. But I would say that the NBA actually has the most interesting outcome here because I've been arguing for years, if you listen to this radio program, that it makes no sense to start the NBA in October and run all the way until June and that I would start on Christmas Day, make that the tip-off game for the NBA, and then run all the way into July and August and not worry about taking part of the summer vacation because people these days will be able to find your games wherever they are. I mean, I understand back in the day uh, the challenge in old school uh, when people would go on vacation in the summer and you're like, oh, people won't be able to find the games, everything. People can find the games anywhere. So, I think the lack of competition would be a lot better for the NBA if they started their playoffs, let's say, in June, July, and then ran it into August. They're not competing with the, NF, uh, with the NFL or with college football, which are both way more popular, and then they give you a lot of programming. I know, I'm speaking on behalf of somebody who does sports talk radio, I would much rather the NBA and the NHL to a certain extent as well in their seasons in August. Now the NHL may have more complexities associated with and I'm not an expert on how to keep, make sure they have the best ice possible because in August it's super hot everywhere and they may have issues with the ice not being as good, but for the NF, uh, for the NBA, I see absolutely no issues with it at all. I mean, would you guys in general, and this is probably a topic we could do a ton of discussion on, but do you guys in general agree with my idea that if the NBA season started on Christmas day it would have and be more entertaining than uh starting it in October. You're with me on this, right, Danny G?
6: One hundred percent. And I've been hearing you rant about this since we worked together at NBC
5: like eight years ago. So yeah. I've been
6: hearing you talk about this for almost a decade.
5: Yeah. And I'm and it sounds like it might end up actually happening. Dub, you agree with me? Uh Christmas Day start for the NBA season just makes a ton of sense
7: it makes too much sense i mean the nba if they did this would be able to basically own the summer months in yep. the world of sports that's all we would talk about is the nba when football's going on they're competing directly with the nfl in college and we don't talk about it because people don't want to hear about the nba until the summer months and if they started in christmas then the intrigue would grow i think the audience would grow and obviously the content on this show and other shows would grow
5: yeah i think it's a no-brainer eddie are you with me as well
2: well, disclaimer: I'm not a customer of the NBA, but yes, I do agree. <laughs> with you.
5: Am I right, <laughs> any, any by th- the way, about the there. NHL that uh, that the ice could be an issue if no. they played into the summer?
2: I mean, it, it's it's the ice they always an,
5: complain. I'm not an expert, but people complain about the ice in the warmer climates, right?
2: It's I mean, it can be an issue, but I think more of a factor is like for a building like in Los Angeles, a Staples Center, you've got two basketball teams and the. The court is being covered and the ice is being covered multiple times during the week. That kind of thing, I think, is more of a factor. How how um, how many teams are using a building more than the temperature outside?
5: Yeah, well, we didn't really talk about this at all, but the Clippers are planning on their own building now. Steve Ballmer uh, deciding to buy. I think he bought the old uh, forum, right? Yeah, Yeah, just wrote a
6: check. Yes. Yeah. Years in cash. Years ago, the forum was converted to just be a state of the art concert venue. Yep. But uh, Bomber wanted to build his own new arena for the Clippers in Inglewood. But since the Madison Square Garden Group owned the Forum, they were blocking him from building there in Inglewood. So he's like, all right, I'm going to buy you out then. So he still wants to build his new arena in Inglewood and keep the Forum as a concert Which is right
5: by the new SoFi Stadium, effectively, right? right? Yeah. All that would be in the same venue. Uh, and uh, and uh, Roberto, are you also in? Are we unanimous on NBA starting on Christmas Day? Makes way more sense.
8: Oh uh, yeah, way more sense. I, I hardly watch the NBA in the first two months of the season when it starts because I'm all focusing
7: on football and fantasy football. So all
5: right, let's take some of your calls. Dub, pop them up.
7: All right, we got Jose in Fremont.
5: Jose, what's up, my man? Hey, what's up, fellas? I appreciate
9: you guys what you guys do, and I hope you guys stay safe and your families as well. Hey, I want to touch on the Raiders, but real quick on the Corona, what do you? How do you feel, Clay, about? they say california for example and there's some counties out here like santa clara county alameda county and la county where these people in government and local government are taking into their own hands and closing gun shops like they're targeting them because they're supposedly not essential and taking our gun rights away i know there's a lot of panic buying but that's also a lot of revenue right now that's coming into the economy and on the raiders mariota hey we're all ready for Mariota to take to to unseat car because at least Mariota has KC and has played in the playoff game.
5: Yeah, look, I think there's going to be a lot more conversation in general about the economy today because I believe the unemployment reports come out today, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and uh, one of the things we haven't really talked about from a coronavirus perspective is how do you balance health and how do you balance well being in the economy simultaneously? Uh, and, uh, and that's why Donald Trump's been saying recently, we can do two things at once. We can protect the country from the coronavirus and also protect people from losing their jobs. And I think that's going to turn into a bigger topic of conversation today when the numbers come out and we are likely to learn that millions of people lost their jobs. The big, uh, the big, uh, short, I think it was right. The movie that came out based on the Michael Lewis book. Uh, was a fantastic film, but the book was also outstanding, and there's a line in there where uh, where he says, for every point that the unemployment rate increases, 40,000 people die, and we tend to not think about that, but when people are unemployed, depression rises, uh, their, uh, their suicide rises, the overall quality of life for many people who are in families declines because uh, mom and dad or mom or dad or grandma or grandpa, whoever the head of the household is, maybe both people are trying to work and they don't have the ability to take care of kids. And so one of the challenges that we have is we can't just focus on the coronavirus as important as that might be right now, if it means that Tens of millions of people are going to lose their jobs, particularly, I believe, when the people who are losing their jobs are very often the people, and I'm sure a lot of you are listening to me right now who are in this scenario, who have the least savings, right? Because generally speaking, as unemployment declines, the people who come into the workforce are the people that have the greatest difficulty being able to find jobs. And prior to the coronavirus emerging, we had an unemployment rate in this country of around three and a half or 3.6% which was the lowest in 50 years. Uh, and, and for most of our lives, the lowest it had absolutely been. And I don't know how much it's going to go up in the last week, but the number of people who have jobs that are, you know, you're, you're able to just be at home for a month at a time or weeks at a time and not have to worry about losing them is really low. And, uh, and that brings me back. Uh, I'll use the platform here for a minute. If you have the opportunity, you have the resources right now, Go out and support local businesses that are still open, in particular bars and restaurants. Tip well when you're there. And also, I think we need to give a lot more credit to all of the people out there working who can't stay at home, who are making sure that the commerce that still exists is able to flow. People delivering Amazon packages, uh, postal service employees, UPS, FedEx, truck drivers, all of these people out there that don't have the opportunity to stay home and protect themselves uh, and their family, they've got to continue to work. and uh, I think those guys deserve a lot of credit more than we're giving them. Same thing obviously with everybody who works in healthcare fields, uh, police, fire r- fire response uh, teams, everybody out there, first responders in general, grocery store workers. There are a lot of people that you wouldn't think of as being heroic in the way that they have uh, they have worked over the past several weeks. I don't think he ever thought we'd give a shout out to grocery store workers, <laughs> but I mean, literally, they Amen. have jobs that are right now on the front line of uh, of our country's battle with the coronavirus.
6: Yeah, people working at fast food uh, yeah. drive-throughs. That's right, and of course, truck drivers, mailmen, um, and TV and radio producers still have to go into the control <laughs> yep. studios. They're not yep. at home. Amen.
5: Yeah, yeah, you guys. That's what I'm saying. I, when we get this thing in order, I, I'm gonna have to take a day off and uh, some time off in uh, in April. This is usually kind of the the calm before the storm. Although we'd be in the middle of the uh, the NCAA tournament, we'd be getting ready. Sorry, sorry to remind you, these will be the Sweet 16 games starting tonight. Uh, if the NCAA tournament were going like it uh, like it is ordinarily going, uh, who's up next up?
7: Uh we got Justin in Cincinnati.
5: Justin, fire away. Hey, Clay. Uh, Monday, I got notified that I tested
9: positive, and when my doctor called me, there was a person from the Ohio Department of Health on there, and the thing that makes me negative about sports coming back in June is that this goof kept using the
0: term liable, 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 liable about going out and public. Well, first
5: of all, how do you feel? So,
0: I feel okay. It's, I, pers- you know, I was one of those, like, it's the flu,
9: it's the flu, but for me, it's more like bronchitis.
5: So you, uh, you obviously are listening to us. You're home. How long have you had it?
9: I got tested last Thursday, I believe, and they notified me Monday. I felt really crappy the weekend before last.
5: Yeah. But in general, you're home, you're obviously up early in the morning, you're listening to us. You feel like you're gonna get well and not necessarily need did you how did you get tested?
9: Uh, my doctor. They it was before they did like the remote places here yeah. in Ohio. So I had to go to the hospital, but I you know, they took me into it, like a side door and they escorted me in and all that. Yeah. And they had uh, a special room set
5: up. Well, thanks for the call. Get well, um, and uh, yeah, look. I mean, I think there are liability elements associated with this. What I would say is, as people study this more, uh, there are for you know generations people have been getting sick at sporting events, uh, and initially that's why we said when they come back in June, I think there won't be crowds present but uh the the information that we don't have and this is where i think we we need to have more information than we do right now yesterday in the wall street journal there were two stanford doctors who wrote a piece and they said the data that we have about this virus is still incredibly limited and in particular we don't know how common it is and i talked about this in the context of the nba players 10 different nba players have tested positive including donovan mitchell and kevin durant But the point that I made with the NBA is 10 out of 120 NBA players, roughly, that have been tested so far have tested positive for the coronavirus. And most of those guys had it and didn't even know that they had it. So how commonplace is the coronavirus? We just had that call from Cincinnati where a guy says, yeah, hey, I know I've got it. But how many more people have it and don't know they have it at all? I think it's a huge number, huge number out there. And if that is the case, it actually means the death rate is much lower. And this is what I've been calling a denominator problem, and a lot of other people are starting to catch up with it. We don't know what the death rate is for the coronavirus because we don't know how many people actually have the coronavirus. It appears right now, for instance, in New York State or New York City primarily, where the outbreak is, it appears about 0.8% of the people that are testing positive for the coronavirus are dying from it right now. 99.2% of people, when I did the math last night, 99.2% of people that we know have the coronavirus are going to be fine. But that 0.8% death rate isn't actually accurate because we don't count all the people who have minor cases that never get tested for it. And the same thing, it's interesting, for instance, with the flu, we test very few people. In fact, if you're out there right now and you're listening to me, you're like, yeah, now I think about it. Most people who have the flu don't ever go see the doctor and have an official flu test. So it's a small minority of the people who have the flu that ever get the test. I think it's also a small minority of people that have the coronavirus that ever get to go get a test as well so we don't even know what the death rate is other than the fact that it's probably substantially lower than around 0.8%. It's worth thinking about in general there, who's up next?
7: All right, last one here we got Jeremy in Texas.
5: Jeremy, what you got for me? Hey, good morning. I just had a quick question on the NBA. If it started
9: at Christmas and went all the way through August, how would that affect their Players' participation every four years in the Olympics. Would we just switch back to college players, or how would that work?
3: Yeah,
5: that's a good question. I mean, first of all, only arise every four years. My bet would be that we just give like a two-week break. I don't know. I mean, I think that's something they deal with with the World Cup. Big soccer fans out there could speak to this more uh, more than me. But usually, you just take a leave of absence while the World Cup is going on. If there's a professional sports league in soccer. That is otherwise playing for instance the MLS just and then not that the MLS has a ton of players that are on the US men's team or playing in the World Cup in general, but I think they just take a hiatus. So I think every four years, you probably would just take off, you know, a couple of weeks, maybe they would schedule it so that the all star break happened around that time. I'm not sure exactly. It's a good question. Uh, But uh, the other possibility would be that, you know, we just go back to college players um you know the other question will be how do you handle the nba draft um my expectation would be that you could have the nba draft still in the summer even while the league season is actually going on these are good questions uh when we come back uh, we haven't done it yet this week i think we're ready for it how we got an animal thunderdome danny g does that makes sense yeah let's do it let's roll this is outkick the coverage with clay
1: travis
2: Ladies and gentlemen. I'm just glad I was there. Boys and girls. I thought he thought I was like this ginormous piece of chicken. Dying times here. I had a bullet instructor stuck to my face. Man, you have a what?
5: This is Animal Thunderdome. All right, Danny G, fire away.
6: All right, Clay. A Rwandan man who reportedly did not follow the nationwide coronavirus lockdown to go fishing was killed and eaten by a crocodile. A local official told news outlets Wednesday the African countries more than 12 million people have been under stay at home orders since Sunday to control the spread of the coronavirus, which has infected at least 40 people there in Rwanda so far. Alice Kayatsi, the mayor of his district, said that this tragic incident happened Wednesday in the Naiborongo River. He had broken the stay-home rule, she told the BBC. He's among very few people here who are not cooperating with the lockdown to stop the virus. The victim's uh, name and age were not immediately released. The small East African nation has the highest number of coronavirus cases in the region, but no deaths from it have been reported so far. Except for this guy being eaten by the crocodile. Tough break. Yeah, stay at home if you can. Seems like
5: crocodiles have been getting a lot of people in Africa lately. Yeah. Or at least they've been a substantial portion of the animal Thunderdome.
6: Let's go from crocodile to alligator. Tell me you saw the story of this man who has been using his pet alligator as an emotional support animal. No,
5: I haven't seen this.
6: We had a story on the Thunderdome a few months back of the mini horse,
5: remember? Oh, yeah. On the airplane? (laughs) Yes. Yeah.
6: This man from Pennsylvania has such a strong bond with his pet alligator that he has had it registered now as his very own emotional support animal. Joey Henny is the proud owner of a, a ton of reptiles in his house, ranging from bearded dragons to ball pythons. But the one in his house he's most fond of, his four-year-old pet alligator, Wally. Henny says that he went through a real hard depression and Wally brought him out of it henny's doctors say that his change due to the alligator have been amazing henny admits that uh so wait does
5: he like most emotional support animals you travel with them you know like you have them on a leash whatever it is does he travel with the alligator
6: he does he travels with them and he says that uh wally is not a typical alligator he loves cuddling giving kisses and hugs so and does he, he
5: have I, – I, do we have video of this?
6: I have pictures um, of this guy. I will post them to your Twitter, so, at Danny and Radio Clay Travis. So does he Travis. put him on a
5: leash? Yes. Like he, he walks him like a dog.
6: Yeah, there's one picture where you can see a collar and a leash on him as he's on Joey's lap. And the other pictures, he's just, like, chilling with him on his couch.
5: Does he have, a like, a, anything on his mouth? No. No i gotta see this is an unbelievable where is it pennsylvania
6: pennsylvania
5: can you imagine if you were just out in your neighborhood and a guy walked by with an alligator on a leash
6: yeah he says he takes them for regular walks in the park and to swim in their local river
1: what cuckoo
5: <laughs> this whole thing is crazy so like he just like does he get in the river with him uh- nor he just lets him out to swim and then he comes back
6: it doesn't say but i actually tracked down the news organization that put the story out and i'm trying to get joey's contact info
5: yeah we got to get i i have so many questions about the emotional support alligator i mean even the takes him to the river to swim like does he keep him on a leash or does the alligator just go in the water and then come back to him there so i i, I mean i again we have to get this guy on the show
6: there's one picture where the alligator is giving him a kiss on the, on the mouth as they're laying How on cute. the couch.
5: Uh, that seems risky. <laughs> but then again, I just watched the whole uh, series on the Tiger King, yeah. and the, for the most part, those tigers didn't really harm people, except for the one girl who lost her arm.
6: Yeah, the Tiger King is so popular that Netflix actually crashed yesterday afternoon.
5: Yeah, you told me that. I didn't see that. Uh, I, thankfully, it wasn't while I was watching Let's Um, go to
6: a snake story here. An an Australian snake catcher was called out to a Queensland home where a resident made a crazy discovery. A 15-foot albino Burmese python on her front porch. Albino? Like a white python? Yes, white, yellowish color. I'll, I'll also include this in the tweet out. Tony Harrison of Gold Coast and Brisbane Snake Catcher said that this woman um, called him out last Monday when she discovered it. He says the 110-pound snake is the largest animal he's ever been called out to capture in his 26 years. So
5: did this thing get away, or it's just naturally living there?
6: He says that it had to have been a pet. Yeah. That, And you've talked about this before. Everybody
5: who has a pet snake loses it. Yeah. Every Be- It doesn't matter what kind of snake you have every single person if you say i have a pet snake they have a story about how it got out of the cage how it disappeared this is why i can't trust snake people uh you we-
6: got scared at your house from a little snake can you imagine a 110 pound snake on your
5: porch i would sell the house and i might burn it down there was a tiny snake in my house and i'm still not over it frankly this is outkick the coverage with clay travis
4: people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do it yourself and you can find what you need in-store or online stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit them at oreillyauto.com/2pros that's oreillyauto.com/2pros
8: If you love sports and true crime then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me Jay Harris that you won't want to miss
5: In hour one, Marcus Mariota, Las Vegas Raiders. Still difficult to say that. New quarterback swung by, hung out with us. Appreciate uh, all the feedback from that interview. We talked about the Raiders as having one of the most interesting quarterback battles that are out there. We'll wait and see where Jameis Winston ends up. Does not appear that there's a lot of interest in him in terms of having really good options right now. Mariota trying to become a Ryan Tannehill this year's version. Ironically, Ryan Tannehill took his job with the Titans, and now he's in a position of competing with Derek Carr, who only has one year, I believe, remaining on his contract with the Raiders. It's eerily similar to the situation that Ryan Tannehill found himself in, where you have a quarterback that you're not sure whether he's the franchise guy or not, and uh, believe that you might get an opportunity to play there. We talked a lot about Cam Newton yesterday. I would say there are three quarterbacks that are out there that are hoping to have Ryan Tannehill-like resurgences. They used to be starters, and now they are not going to be starters. Uh, We know that the Andy Dalton era is over in Cincinnati, presuming that Cincinnati is going to go out and take Joe Burrow number one overall. We know Jameis Winston's era is over in Tampa Bay. He said bye to the Buccaneers, but there doesn't seem to be a lot of teams that want to sign Jameis and We know that Cam Newton's tenure is over with the Carolina Panthers. Still to be determined what exactly the L.A. Chargers are going to do and what exactly the New England Patriots are going to do. But for now, it seems like there have been far too many quarterbacks out there than uh, there are jobs available for them. And this version of quarterback musical chairs has now come to a close. And those three quarterbacks, Andy Dalton, Cam Newton, and Jameis Winston, are all left standing, and that's before we have a situation where I think it's likely where Joe Burrow goes number one overall, where somebody's willing to trade up for Tua, which I think there's a good chance of, and where Justin Herbert ends up going as well really early. I think all three of these guys are very likely to be gone by five or six, depending on whether somebody trades up. If somebody trades up, then Tua likely would be gone at two, three, or four, Otherwise, you're looking at Joe Burrow, number one overall, the Cincinnati Bengals, Tua, number five overall, the Miami Dolphins, and the Chargers taking Justin Herbert at number six overall. That's the way I think you would have to project the way that the NFL draft is going to shake out. Then you'd have Jordan Love from Utah State, who's kind of uh, percolating around out there. You'd have Jacob Eason, you'd have uh, Jake Fromm, all of those guys, maybe Jalen Hurts. Uh, that would probably be your top six-ish available quarterbacks in the NFL draft. And the first three, I think there's a very good chance they're going to be gone in the top six picks overall. Uh, Major League Baseball would have been starting today. Instead, uh, Rob Manfred went on with Scott Van Pelt last night and basically made it clear that his uh, his league is not going to be uh, back for a while. How long will it be till the Major League Baseball is back? My guess would be June. I think there's a good chance by June, both the NHL, Major League Baseball, and uh, and the uh, and the NBA would all be back. Now, I think sooner than that, we may have sports back. And if I were betting on which sports are going to come back first, first of all, UFC really hasn't closed. I know that they they have postponed some things, and but they had an event well after everybody else. And so I think the UFC will come back somewhat sooner. Now, they've already moved the Wilder-Fury fight, which was scheduled for July, back to October now, which is just further evidence as if the month of October wasn't wild enough already. Can you imagine with the NFL, with college football, with uh, with all that could be going on in the month of October to begin with, that now you're going to add in the Tyson-Fury and Deontay Wilder fight to that mix, But when I look at the available sports that are out there, first, we should mention that MLS right now is planning on restarting on May 10th. Now, that seems to me to be very optimistic, but they have the earliest return date of anywhere that's out there. Uh, And then after MLS, I think maybe even around that same time, golf, which was slow to cancel its event. Remember, they played the first Thursday that first day of the Players' Championship before they canceled. And then uh, you look at golf, and I think you also look at NASCAR. UFC, again, we've got the WWE. My understanding is they're going to have WrestleMania next weekend at their facility down in Florida with no crowd present. And they've continued to do SmackDown uh, on television. I watched it last Friday, and it was kind of wild to watch when there's no crowd present and there's no uh, background noise or anything else, but you still have the wrestlers and the announcers there, I think that's probably a little bit of a prelude for what's going to come down the line, which will be all these team sports for sure. And I think also with NASCAR and with uh, MLS and with golf, you're going to have to begin without any uh, spectators present. And if that is the case, then it will be, uh, it will be pretty intriguing to, uh, to watch and see exactly which one is the first to come back. Which team sport do you think plays first, Danny G?
6: I think NASCAR is going to go first.
5: You th- you think NASCAR will be the first major sporting event to come back that we just ran through? I do. Yeah. What about you, Dub?
7: I think it's golf in terms of the actual league that comes back because I feel like they could almost come back you know, in a month, really, when you think about it. But as far as team sport – I think the NBA will probably come back first. They seem to be the most aggressive in their preparation for their comeback. At at least that's what it seems like from the outside.
5: You know what's interesting is, I don't know if the PGA would do this, but I wonder whether they might be willing to come back and let guys drive golf carts and not have caddies. Is that a crazy idea? I mean, just think about it. If you were going to modify the sport, and I know people, they had the whole lawsuit over walking the course and how integral it was to golf. But if you think about it, if each golfer had their own individual cart, and the reason why I'm saying uh, drive a cart is because obviously the most interaction you would have would be with your caddy. And your caddy carries your, uh, your, your bag and you're you know, constantly shifting uh, you know your, uh, your, your club choice. You're standing close to him. You're in consultation. There's a lot of close contact between a golfer and his caddy. But if the PGA just said, hey, no spectators, and every golfer is going to drive a cart or I guess you could have the golfers walk and carry their bags themselves if you didn't want them to drive a, a cart. But I'm just saying drive a cart so that you don't suddenly make a golfer carry his bag and, you know, like all the, the impact associated with that. I think it's kind of crazy that, okay. you're, that you're arguing that in general, that walking the course without carrying your bag is actually that hard of a, uh, of a physical undertaking. But I wonder whether the PGA could come back, and I don't know how golfers would respond. But I I wonder if they could, why they couldn't come back. Because again, if you play golf, it's very rare, other than in the tee box, that you would be and on the green that you're that close to somebody else. And you never have to be, you could play golf easily and never be within six feet of the guy that you're playing with. I mean, you could social distance golf very, very easily if there were no caddy involved.
6: You're right about that, Clay, but I think there's more diva tendencies with some of the players. Rory McIlroy was the one who basically got the PGA to stop with his comments, whereas NASCAR, you're confined, you're in your car, and they would have still been running right now if, if it had not been that pressure they got on that final weekend.
5: Yeah, I think the difference for NASCAR is not the driver, it's the team. So in the pit? Yeah, Those guys are all in incredibly close proximity to each other. They're sweating. True,
6: but they're so geared up that you think that they could have some real masks on.
5: I I don't know. I don't know the answer 100%. Golf seems to me to be the easiest sport by far to come back. Because, again, I just said if you took away the caddy element to golf, it seems to me that you could legitimately play golf without having – especially if you said, hey, we're not going to use the clubhouse, right? You need to come dressed to the golf course drive in in your rental car, whatever it is, uh, come straight to the course. You're going to have to either... you're Maybe you give them an option. You can carry your golf clubs or you can drive a cart if you're concerned about that. Obviously, you have to make the decisions on your own. You don't have somebody to consult with. But I feel like golf you could do really, really easily without even having to worry, especially if you... Uh, made sure, like obviously, you don't want to be playing in a tournament in New York. You'd need to look at the calendar and say, "Hey, we're going to go to states where there aren't massive outbreaks, or cities where there aren't massive outbreaks." But that seems to me to be a really easy choice to make. And then if somebody gets sick, they just withdraw. It's not you don't have the team sport concerns where you're like, "Oh my God, everybody has to uh, to now quarantine themselves." If one golfer got sick, he just pulls out of the tournament like he would if he got the flu or like he would if he got some other illness. I don't understand why we couldn't uh why we couldn't get golf back really quickly in that context. Dub, you're a golfer. I mean, doesn't that make sense to you? Like you could easily social distance and play golf.
7: Yeah, absolutely. And last week the public courses here in Nashville sent out a memo to people saying, you know, we're keeping the courses open, the clubhouses will be closed, which is what you just mentioned what yeah. PJ Tour could do. Uh, there's no taking out the flag sticks there's no rakes in the sand, uh, sand those are traps great points open. yeah
5: that, that, those are rules that i should have mentioned as well for people out there that the, there are lots of golf courses that are staying open and you just hit on it right you don't pull the uh, pull the pin uh, because that way you know you're sharing uh, germs theoretically there you don't rake in the uh, in the pits if uh, if there are issues now for the pga this wouldn't be an issue because there could just be, you know, the grounds crew, uh, for instance, in the in the bunkers, could come by. Somebody, one person, can rake it after every uh, after every hole. Uh, but uh, but that seems like a really easy solution to me.
7: Yeah, and so that that's that's how they've been keeping a lot of these courses open. They just put in these few rules. Uh, a lot of them, you know, got rid of the golf cart, so it's walk only. Carry your own bag. Yep. But yeah, it's they're staying open and they're just having a few extra rules out there and. Like you said, it's easy to keep your distance on a golf course. You don't really, you know, you can do your little corona elbow knuckle at the end if you want to shake hands, and then go on your way.
5: Yeah, and again, to me, the only thing the PGA would have to be concerned about is caddies. And if they wanted to take that risk, they could keep the caddy involved. But if you take the caddy out of the game and you walk with your clubs, or they give a you know a, a uh, an ability to drive with your golf cart, again, there's no crowds there. I don't understand why that wouldn't work really really well and be uh, something that could make sense almost immediately what about you uh, Eddie Garcia you buying in
2: yeah with golf I I am yeah absolutely And, and as you pointed out NASCAR the drivers are obviously isolated but the pit crews aren't so I would have to say golf seems like the obvious one
5: yeah golf seems like it'll be the one that comes back first and I think golf could be back have they have they moved the U.S. Open yet do we know I know they moved the Masters but have they moved the U.S. Open or the, the PGA, I think, is now in May, right? Have they officially yeah, announced correct. the PGA is not going to happen yet?
7: The only thing they've announced is they've basically postponed every event up to the Masters. So before they postponed the Masters, they uh, postponed all events or canceled all events, really. Uh, to the event in San Antonio, which is the week before the Masters, so I think they're going to make some decisions here. Uh, shortly. yeah, uh, there's the an article future. there's an article from a day ago saying the U.S. Open is in limbo,
5: and but they haven't announced the PGA, which is even before the U.S. Open. Correct. The PGA is in May. I don't know why they couldn't come back in May, assuming that things continue to get better, which I think they are going to. I don't. Where is where is the will Somebody look up where the PGA is going to be played this May. Because that can factor in as well, based on whether the city that they're going to have the PGA in could have a uh, could have a major outbreak. Um, it's
7: in San Francisco.
5: Yeah, so that's a little bit of a challenge with the PGA. Then, but not San Francisco is yeah. not a an, an unmitigated disaster when it comes to a uh, to a breakout. But what what is the period of time you guys are quarantines in in the state of California until when April nineteenth? I
6: think that is the date. Yeah.
5: Yeah. So April nineteenth, and the and the date of the PGA is in May. So I don't know when the drop dead date that they have to provide notice would be for an event, but the fact that it's in San Francisco makes it a little bit less likely uh, maybe to happen than otherwise. Where's the U.S. Open this well, year? Well, that's
6: in New York. Yeah, so that's
5: a big challenge.
6: Yeah, there. you you've dealt with
5: that before. Remember? Yeah, we did the we did the we've done the broadcast up in New York, but that's a big challenge because
6: yeah, that's June 18th through the 21st is what it is scheduled for at least. Yeah, at the now moment. I hope
5: it's going to be back and be everything will be fine by uh, by mid June. And I think the outbreak obviously would likely be over in New York. But, I mean, again, I just said 56% of all coronavirus cases right now are in New York City, Westchester County, Nassau, or Suffolk County, which are the two Long Island counties and the county north of the city. So... That's a challenge. Where is exactly? Is it in New York City? I'm assuming. It says Winged Foot Golf Club. Yeah, Winged Uh, Foot is really famous. I think Winged Foot is on, is that on Long Island, Dub? Do you know? Yes, it is. Yeah. So, I mean, we're talking about it being in one of the four counties that has the biggest outbreak in the country. Yeah, and by
6: the way, the United States Golf Association said it will have an announcement in mid-April regarding the U.S. Open.
5: Yeah, I think that's smart uh, to wait a little bit, and just see how things go, but that's a tough location Uh, for them to have given uh, the situations that are going on right now there's a huge swath in the middle part of the country that doesn't really have very many outbreaks or very many issues but the golf uh uh, us uh, ga with the u.s open has got a lot of bouncing back and forth between new york and california uh with that tournament over the over the next several months by the way could have a masters in the fall which would be kind of wild to see uh we know how beautiful the masters is in Uh, in the spring and for many people that's kind of uh, a a yearly ritual where you celebrate the return of spring with even if you don't live in the south you can kind of uh, start to see hey uh, spring has sprung at least in the south but I would be kind of intrigued to see what Augusta would look like if they played it in uh, in late let's say late October when the leaves are starting to change and uh, and I know that's a non-traditional time to play a golf tournament, particularly a major. But to me, that would be at least kind of a benefit to having to move it from April would be we get to see a course that we're familiar with looking quite a bit different in October as opposed to April. I think that could make sense. When we come back, we're going to be joined by uh, at Pro Football Doc.
4: People at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto, do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today, or visit them at o'reillyauto.com/two-pros. That's o'reillyauto.com/two-pros.
8: If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss.
5: joined now by at pro football doc he is dr david chow dr chow thanks for getting up early with us let's start with tua which has been an ongoing conversation that we have had for a long time now um what did you see in the video of tua that he put out and what do you anticipate now as we get closer and closer to the proposed nfl draft uh, less than a month
0: well he kind of saw exactly what i would expect obviously his arms in great shape Uh, His hip is getting better. He's not 100%. He's able to move around some. I mean, uh, he's making good progress. I think he's going to make decisions difficult on GMs at the top of the draft. But that video, unlike what I saw on Twitter where everyone says, look at how great he is, he is nowhere close to 100% yet. This is not to say he won't get continue to get better but he still favors that right hip he does watch at the end of the throw when he steps into it you know uh in terms of uh how he follows through Uh, he's favoring it but that's to be expected i still expect that he will be ready to go uh for the start of the nfl season assuming there is one and uh you know he's going to make it uh exciting at the top of the draft and i think he's still going to go near the top
5: uh if he goes near the top um what would what would a situation be like let's pretend that you're still uh working for the chargers Uh, and for people out there who don't know used to be the team doctor for the chargers as they got closer to the NFL draft, would they want you to uh, would they want you to examine him closely? Like what would your role be? Let's pretend that you're still working at the Chargers. they have the number six overall pick and they're interested in taking two, uh, they would ask a team doctor what as he got closer and closer to the draft.
0: Well, just for an update on his status, of course, you looked at him at the combines and normally there would be a recheck combines uh, a Saturday morning or Friday morning where you would go all 32 head team positions and the head athletic trainers to back to Indianapolis with about 40 or 50 guys. Undoubtedly, Tua would have been one of them, but that's all canceled now because of the uh, coronavirus concerns and the "Quote league shutdown," and so there are no physicals. Typically, also if a team was very interested in Tua, they could fly him in for one of their thirty visits, and often part of those thirty visits is a, is a physical. Again. So, you're,
5: yeah, that's, that's interesting. So that's I didn't know that's not happening this year. So you're allowed if you bring in a guy for a team visit, you're allowed as a doctor to re-examine him. You're not re- constrained by what happens in Indianapolis and the follow-up, and so any any individual team that typically was truly interested in Tua could bring him in for an interview and have a further diagnosis and look at by their doctor.
0: Yes, in normal circumstances, yeah. but not this year.
5: Right. But that is permitted. I didn't know if you had to have standardized information, but you can get a, a more... Uh, like You, I guess at some point in time, may have examined a guy uh, both in Indianapolis and then also on a team visit just to check up and, and make sure things are progressing nicely.
0: Absolutely. and And by the way... Uh, The information from the physicals is not really standardized. Of course, if there's an MRI or CT scan, everyone sees the same one uh, and the same information is available. But at the combines and at the recheck combines, each team gets the individual chance to evaluate every player. Uh, And this is kind of what the controversy is now with uh, signing players or free agents, uh, Michael Brockers maybe, relying on – an outside physical or a local doctor, and and a lot of fans would say, what's the big deal? A doctor is a doctor, and you can figure one out. It's the same deal as, as scouts or GMs or teams wanting their own personnel doing the evaluation. Uh, the uh, physical exam can be as different as a scouting talent evaluation. To one team, they're the top pick in the draft. To another, they're a second rounder sometimes, and a little bit same in terms of medical, in terms of what risk you're willing to accept, and so it is an individualized exam. And now with the travel restrictions and the, the new NFL current rules with the coronavirus situation, that is hampered a little bit to get your own people involved in the physical exam.
5: All right. Let's talk about Cam. Uh, Cam gets a physical from an Atlanta doctor, which allows him to be released by the Carolina Panthers. He's officially a free agent. What would you anticipate from a medical perspective is likely to happen with Cam Newton in the weeks and months ahead?
0: Well, you know, I'm sure Cam and his camp would have preferred to be uh – have been released uh, uh, before all the the, the the music stopped on the musical chairs, right? I mean, there there aren't a lot of those places left for him yep. if he's trying to be a starter. But it's not a surprise that that he, quote, passed the physical Atlanta. This is a little bit what I'm talking about. There's different thresholds for passing a physical. I mean, there's no question that Cam Newton is 17 times more athletic in his little finger right now, or his, his, his uh, list frank joint right now than my list frank joint, or what I can do. But is he Cam Newton or 100% yet? That's the question mark. It's certainly a short timeline from a December surgery. And so uh, teams will have to look at that uh, secondary information from the independent doctor and reevaluate themselves. A lot of times they're going to want to trust their own thing. Look, go back to the Drew Brees thing. Uh, Miami didn't want him and New Orleans did, right? There's differences of opinion in terms of what's out there. As far as what I think will happen to Cam, uh, I I think he's going to need a little more time uh, based on timing. Uh, I don't know that – that a team's gonna jump in at a high price to to snag him right now because of the concerns about the foot. But I think he'll ultimately get there. So uh it's gonna be interesting how this will play out. And it you know, this is why he couldn't be traded. I mean it's hard to trade for a guy coming off an injury. And uh the release I think was mutual because Cam saw the writing on the wall that he was going to get released. He had to agree to be healthy to get released otherwise he could file a grievance against the club but he figures his freedom is better and he can get more on the open market than than fighting uh, any grievance especially where you know with months to go before the season uh, i think everyone still believes he probably will get all the way better he just may not be there right now
5: we're talking to Dr. David Chow at Pro Football Doc i want to go back we talked a little bit about this i think last week we're still unclear when or if the NBA is going to return but there started to be a little bubble up of rumor that if the NBA comes back and goes all the way until August, that potentially Kevin Durant could come back and play either at the tail end of the season or for the postseason. Right now, the Nets would be uh, in the postseason. I believe they're the seven seed, if I'm not mistaken. What would you say if Kevin Durant came to you and asked about your advice? Uh, and obviously, you're not, uh, you're not able to uh, fully examine him. But in general, a athlete coming back from an injury such as this, if they came to you and said, Doc, I'm thinking about coming back, what would you tell them?
0: Well, you know, obviously examine them and give them the relative risk. Uh, you know, the, the more the season get, gets extended, the better chance he has to come back. But I still think he would come back more as a st- spot shooter. Not the uh, ball going through Kevin Durant's hand guy that he was before the injury when he was with Golden State. Uh, you know, and uh, he'd come back a little bit different, at least uh, for this year. Look, I think our world has changed. Uh, you know, even if the nba starts and and of course you know i could see the trial balloons from 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 the nba saying well maybe we'll do a charity game what's the yeah. appetite for that and 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 so forth and uh you know who's going to be the first penguin in the water so to speak Sport to jump in is it NBA or is it uh, Major League Baseball or what is it? Obviously, it's not going to be the Olympics right now, and uh, there's still enough social concern that it's interesting how leagues will will handle this. And the other thing is, are there going to be new rules? Uh, look, uh, we're, we're not necessarily likely to have a coronavirus or COVID-19 cure, uh, immunization or treatment immediately. In the past, you know we lauded these Michael Jordan games uh, or you know willis Reed moments or or whatever you want playing through illness so to speak are there going to be new rules where you know you get your temperature taken yeah kind of like you know grade school if you have a a fever 24 hours within the 24 hours before you can't go to school or you can't play the game i mean what are the new rules going going to be i think that will all be interesting to see how it plays out
5: yeah and i wrote about this and talked about it a little bit on the show but i do think the jordan flu game is an interesting question what would your thoughts be uh if somebody came to you as a doctor and said hey Doc, every uh, 24 hours before every game, and maybe even also right before you go out on the field, I don't know, because certainly a fever can emerge in the 24 hours before a game. But what kind of pressure would that put on the medical staff? If you've got a big game that's about to be played, and you've got a guy who has a 99.9 fever, and he's saying i want to go doc but you're saying hey i'm sorry we have a standardized temperature test here and if you're over x you're not allowed to play how does that work do you think that's a legitimately feasible possibility uh, in sports leagues well that's there's a lot to be worked out there assuming they go there right would you want that pressure as a medical person to be going around with your staff taking temperatures and then saying sorry bud you're out
0: well, you know, as a doctor, I never wanted to be the policeman. Right. Uh, when a team told me, uh, for example, a team told the team told me once that uh, you need to tell that guy's healthy. He needs to get out there and play. Uh, I'm like, well, I'm not the policeman. I can tell him medically I think he can play. But if you want him out there, you or the coaches or the GM or the management have to tell him to do that. I've had that happen with concussions before when they – at one point the league said you, the doctor, had to uh, prevent the guy from playing, uh, coming back into the game. There's no problem, I would tell him but you need security or someone else to enforce it. I mean, yeah. I'm just the doctor, you know, and that would be the same thing here. Would I be comfortable measuring the temperature? Sure, but the enforcement of the rule and how it is, and, you know, I don't know how they would do it. If it would be referees or the independent medical would do it. And, and by the way, would, would games be played? I mean, uh, you know, uh, to temporarily change your body temperature to, to, quote, pass the screen? I don't know. This is all speculation at this point in time, but if the league does, leagues do go that way there, there are some loopholes to to close down in terms of how to police it and how to measure it and when as you say and uh, and look you you get to crazy extremes do you measure them at halftime again i mean yeah. you know but of course your temperature rises when you're working out right i mean no one's 98.6 when you're huffing and puffing and uh, working hard you're, your your engine is revving so uh, there's there's a few complications there
5: it is really fascinating because most people would say who are listening to us right now the Michael Jordan flu game is an iconic part of his legend right this is a guy who refused to let his uh, his uh, sickness keep him from his from uh, obtaining an excellent result Yet now looked at in the context of, hey, Rudy Gobert had the coronavirus and a bunch of people blamed him, even though we don't really know who got the coronavirus first, him or Donovan Mitchell, right? Uh, A lot of people were like, oh, he gave it to Donovan Mitchell. Maybe Donovan Mitchell gave it to him. We don't really know. But people looked at at Rudy Gobert as a bad guy. Whereas if a member of the Utah Jazz ended up with the flu because he had to defend Michael Jordan and he was sweating all over him, I don't think people would have been like, oh man, Michael Jordan is an awful guy, right? Is that going to change the way that we contemplate and respond to illness on the court and the field? I think is a really interesting question in the wake of the coronavirus.
0: Yeah, and I, and I think it absolutely is. And, you know, for the Donald Mitchell who gave it to who Kind of thing. I mean, it's not. I don't know the schedule or how it worked. It's not impossible that some of the Brooklyn Nets may have given it to Rudy Gobert. I, I don't know how the schedule went, and who there may be another player in the league that was exposed to a coach or a referee or somebody that hasn't been tested yet. Who who knows how how Rudy Gobert uh, got it? But your point about the flu game is is a good one. How do you how do you adjudicate that going forward, and and what do you really uh, do about that? I think and leagues do about that. I think that's going to be there are going to be many interesting fallouts from this, uh, uh, coronavirus situation.
5: And there's also going to be a difference in player expectation because once you set the rule, you know, arguably that can transfer into other places, right. Um, where, we, Hey, we, if you we, have we, a fever, you shouldn't be going to work. Whereas a lot of people try to gut it out if they feel sick, right?
0: Uh, oh, I, I, absolutely. And, and look at this last NFL season. Look, we talked about here on the show where, players are offered and encouraged to get the flu vaccine. It doesn't help coronavirus, but, you know, every team, there are a lot of teams that got swept up in the flu. The Patriots did, the Seahawks did, and so forth. At one point, I think the Patriots, if I remember correctly, it was a game against the Saints maybe, if I remember correctly, where there were seven or eight players that flew down separately uh, from the team so that the rest of the team wouldn't wouldn't get it. But almost all those guys played. If you had a rule of a fever and so forth, uh, you would if you had eight guys who are sick, you're already suiting up under the current rules short. Yeah, a player um so there could be times where instead of suiting up with 46 you'd be suiting up with 40 players which is coaches would tell you is untenable if that were the case so a lot of rules would have to change uh, but you know the bottom line is let's get through this and 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 it's just interesting to see how they will the leagues will handle it
5: speaking of getting through it you're a doctor you're out in california Uh, We've talked with you every week because the coronavirus continues to be a major story, certainly intersecting with the culture at large, but with sports in a big way as well. What would you tell people or have them know this week that maybe you didn't know last week about the coronavirus? What is your uh, analysis as it is for the show this week?
0: Well, the question mark is where are we at, right? I mean, yes. uh, right now, uh, are, are we flattening and getting over the hump, or are we still rising? I mean, just like the stock market, how do you really know if it's hitting bottom or it's recovering? I mean, as you look at daily points, you have to look over a long trend. I can tell you locally in San Diego, there certainly are cases. There certainly is fear. Uh, people are, for the most part, staying in their homes and Beaches have been shut down and the whole deal. But we're not there yet locally. Uh, For example, one local hospital is currently... Flexing off nurses, in other words, not giving them their eight-hour, ten-hour, twelve-hour shift, telling them to go home early because the hospitals are relatively empty right now. Now, I'm not saying this is a hoax and you know go out and do whatever you want. I'm just saying where where we're at locally in San Diego, we're nowhere near a crisis situation because nurses are being sent home and. Hospitals are trying to save money by cutting their hours right now, but now, because elective surgery waivers- has
5: been has been dialed back, I'm imagining, right? And so, uh, I would imagine also that if a lot of people are staying away from going to the hospital because they're like, I don't want to get the coronavirus by going to the ER, you know, like I'll try and gut it out. I imagine that some of that's going on. Both of those factors.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's that's definitely the the case. The, the the business in the hospital has changed. It's become coronavirus preparedness, but the coronavirus, at least in San Diego, in terms of hospital usage is not there yet. So their nurses are actually getting flexed off. I can't predict for you if it's still coming or not. I hope not. I I hope uh, San Diego is more of a You know, in general, a suburban area as opposed to urban like New York or some of the places, uh, Italy or China, that uh, have had uh, had it worse so far. And uh, we'll see. And and perhaps the the weather might favor San Diego area a little bit because uh, viruses traditionally don't do as well in warmer weather. So keep our fingers crossed here. But of course, praying for New York and and other cities
5: that, that have it worse. Dr. Chow, appreciate the time, my man. We will talk to you again next week. Thank you.
1: Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live.
5: I think we need to have a big conversation because I do believe – we just finished talking with Dr. David Chow. um, And, uh, by the way, uh, the uh, the latest Major League Baseball would have been starting today. And the commissioner of Major League Baseball, Rob Manfred, says they hope to be playing – In June, they'll be playing a shorter schedule if you're just waiting, waking up. Still a lot to be determined there. Uh, Big news uh, that has broken that is related to the coronavirus and certainly is related to the ability of all of us to come back uh, to work. This is a wild stat. Just happened a couple of minutes ago. 3.28 million people lost their jobs last week and have filed for unemployment. 3.28 million. The previous all-time high for unemployment claims was six hundred and ninety-five thousand back in nineteen eighty-two. So truly, this is without any precedent uh, to have that many million people lose their job uh, in the space of a week is is unbelievable. Uh, But that is the latest. That's going to be a big topic of discussion today. And certainly it intersects with the world of sports as well, because some of the people losing their jobs are people who work uh, in sports related industries uh, as a result of all of the postponements and suspensions of sport related activity. We're just talking with Dr. Chow. Can you imagine if in all sports now, doctors are independently brought in to give uh, temperature tests to players to see whether or not they're able to play in games? I mean that would change everything. I mean, just purely from a gambling perspective, uh, like nothing else. If you found out a guy had the flu, most of the time, a guy's gonna go right. If you think about the NFL, do you remember a quarterback, for instance, ever sitting out with something other than a uh, than something other than a totally debilitating injury? I can't remember somebody ever missing a game in NFL. I mean, regular season baseball or regular season basketball, hockey. Even I, I think that's not uncommon for somebody to decide to make that choice. Uh, but this is uh, this is pretty wild to uh, to even think about uh, the potential of that being an issue. Yeah, I mean, it is just kind of kind of a seismic shift in the way we think about sports.
6: I mean, most athletes are known as Iron Men, and you're right famously Ladanian Tomlinson stood on the sideline with his helmet on nobody could quite figure out what was wrong with him and to this day he still hears about that um I think the only one in the NBA that would like this is Kawhi Leonard
5: <laughs> yeah I mean like, there's definitely I feel a fever coming on it's hard to argue that load management should be an issue yeah I, was, I said I think I wrote about this on Friday I said that suddenly there was going to be a lot of NBA fuel uh, Ferris Bueller's Uh, if you were getting the thermometer check every, every, uh, every single time before a game, like you're going to be sitting with it, you know, like under your armpit, uh, in advance, or you're going to be like trying to get your speed. And, And Dr. Chow pointed to it. I mean, your temperature rises when you are an athlete and you are out, you know, working out aggressively, uh, your body puts off a lot of heat. So, This sounds like it could be a really complicated issue going forward. Maybe it's all just going to fade away. We'll see. But again, the big takeaway uh, for everybody out there who is uh, starting off their morning, 3.28 million people lost their jobs. And uh, I would imagine that, uh, unfortunately, a lot of you who listen to the program on a regular basis are a part of that as well. Things are going to get better. We are going to beat the coronavirus. But in the meantime, there will be a lot of pain. Appreciate all of you hanging out with us. Tomorrow's show, Friday, we'll be back. Same bat time, same bat channel. Thanks for hanging out. Go download the podcast. Make sure you didn't miss anything. Marcus Mariota was great in hour one. This is OutKick on Fox Sports Radio. Oh, oh, oh.